the UK SSD podcast, bringing the Sustainable Development Goals to life. Welcome to this special edition of Planet Pod, produced in partnership with UK SSD, the cross-sector network that supports the delivery of the Sustainable Development Goals in the UK. I'm delighted to be co-hosting this series with Emily Auckland, who is Network Director. Emily, hello and welcome to the virtual Planet Pod studio. Hi Amanda, thanks very much for having me with you. We have a really exciting series of podcasts lined up, haven't we? And we have some fascinating guests, but maybe we should start by setting the scene a little bit. We talk a lot on Planet Pod about the Sustainable Development Goals, but can you just remind listeners what they are and why they are so important now, particularly? So the Sustainable Development Goals were agreed by world leaders in 2015. They consist of 17 goals and 169 accompanying targets. And together they provide us with a vision or a plan for a future where we've ended poverty, addressed inequalities and combated the climate and ecological emergencies. The goals are really important at this time and in particular when we think about our recovery from the pandemic because the UK government has already committed to this agenda and they already have the widespread support of businesses and civil society and as we'll hear today from local government as well so we don't need to start from scratch we don't need to be thinking about what our recovery plan is we can just use this existing framework now there's three particular things that the SDGs help us with in the in the context of recovery firstly they help us work together across the whole of society to address the big challenges that we face because they have this message of shared responsibility and partnerships at their heart secondly What we've seen with COVID is this spotlight on deep-rooted structural and systemic inequalities that exist in our society. Now, that's both in the immediate crisis with the impact on certain demographics, but also through what's happening more recently with the Black Lives Matters protests. So we have this opportunity to make sure that our recovery is fair and just and that it addresses these issues properly. And because the SDGs are underpinned by a principle called leave no one behind, they can help us to do this. Now, finally, we can use them to create a recovery that balances our social and economic needs with the needs of our planet. So we've seen a lot of calls for a green recovery and one that's in line with our transition to net zero, but we can do this and make sure that the recovery is also good for people and for our economy. And these things don't need to be in conflict and the SDGs help us ensure that they're not. It's vital to have that framework, isn't it? Because those are huge challenges, climate change, um, the potential poverty and recession as a result of the pandemic. We have no idea how it's going to play out in the long term. And most most recently, you know, the focus on BAME issues and inequalities and really calling out the discrimination that many of our citizens and communities have been suffering. So, so they're really huge sort of challenges that the SDGs can help us to, to respond to. And, and, and who better to be our first guest on this series than Marvin Rees, Mayor of Bristol. And that's a city that's been at the focal point of recent demonstrations, but it's also been a a leader for a long time in green and sustainable development and arguably one of the most active UK cities around the SDG agenda. Marvin Rees was elected mayor in 2016 and in doing so became the first mayor of a black African heritage of a European city. He's a Yale World Fellow and a graduate of Operation Black Vote, who's worked and studied in the UK and the US. He's a former BBC journalist, public health worker, voluntary sector manager, co-founder of the City Leadership Programme, and has developed the One City Plan for Bristol. Marvin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and welcome to Planet Pod. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. 
Thanks so much for being with us, Marvin. It's really exciting to talk to you. I mean, I've, I've certainly heard about Bristol's work on the SDGs for a number of years. So will many of UK SSD's listeners that are uh, listening to this podcast. Um, so Bristol's arguably been the UK's most active city when it comes to the Sustainable Development Goals, not just with the One City Plan, which Amanda mentioned, but also last year with the um, voluntary local review that was produced that looked at how the city is performing on the goals and I think just to start it'd be useful if maybe you can just sketch out for us how things have been in Bristol during the pandemic and maybe your experience of it and also how the city is beginning to recover and how the, the SDGs are coming into that. Well the, the, the pandemic is, is impacting us like like other places um, it's it's the virus itself um, but that we've had to try and um, contain, but we've also had to anticipate dealing with the consequences of the action we're taking to control the virus. Um, so we say actually our understanding has been there are two health threats. Uh, one is the virus, um, but also the results of lockdown, the potential unemployment that, that results and, and how we can contribute to a deterioration in those, um, those wider determinants of health that we then have to pick up as well. Um, so we've taken a, we tried to take a, a, you know, a real rounded approach. In terms of the number of infections we've had uh, from the virus, compared to the rest of the country, we, uh, Bristol and the Southwest has done quite well. Um, if I can say that, that, that will not take away from those that have lost loved ones. And obviously we've had deaths um, within the city, but our numbers are, are, are lower than elsewhere. Um, but our real concern has been, yeah, the, the, you know, the health consequences of the of the lock, the results of the lockdown uh, uh, coming now. Um, but we have thought about the SDGs uh, throughout. Um, I was in a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, Robert Mugger, who works on the Sustainable Development Goals, and, and he was just sharing there was a real concern that, that what people will begin to do is to jettison the SDGs as they try to get onto the serious business of just growing the economy and coming out. Uh, um, my point was now is the time to put the SDGs right in the heart of what we do. Um, you know, where the economy is stripped back, how do we build it so that it is better, it's more inclusive, more sustainable? Um, and now is not the time to um, step, step away from the, from the SDGs, you know, at all. Now's the time to put them at the heart of what we do. So perhaps it would be useful just to start with, um, just to kind of reflect on how the SDGs have been working in Bristol sort of pre-pandemic, what's been going on? I think particularly, you know, why do you feel that they're important? What's the opportunity that they bring that perhaps wasn't there before? Uh, you know, where do they add value in a, in a city context or in a local government context? So I, we've been on a bit of a journey with them. Um, so I was elected in 16 and um, we, we've gone from a, from a place where you've got to have some raw material to put the SDGs on. Otherwise, they're just a group of ideas floating around it, floating around in the air. So we, as a city, um, recognised the importance, and I had a cabinet member, Anna Keane, who was responsible for the Sustainable Development Goals, but where's the raw material you, you put them to? We, as a city, um, developed something called the Bristol One City Plan, whereby, in short, we pulled the whole city together and said, rather than having, you know, 500 strategies with 300 organisations pointing in, you know, a thousand different directions, can we bring the city together around a sh smaller number of shared priorities so that we can focus our energy and our, our, our resource and our firepower? And we've done that now for every year up to 2050. So we have a smaller number of aims every year to 2050 that the city is focused on, but that also gives us the right sequence of events. So the stuff we do in, if we want to be where we, you know, what we set out in 2050, what do we need to have done by 2048? What should we be delivering in 2037 and, and so forth? It's a really challenging 
task, but we've done it. Um, then what we did was we said, well, actually, rather than just doing that on a city, we should, we should map this up against the SDGs. So we know how we are or are not doing against um, uh, the SDGs. So in many ways, it was just a kind of a piece of background knowledge. So we would test ourselves, you know, if we happen to be delivering them. But now we've started to up the ante on that. So it's not just a case of saying, how do we match up against the SDGs now? We're saying we should just be focused on delivering the SDGs. It should be what we are about, which is a subtle but significant uh, shift. So we're pointing directly at it. If it doesn't help us deliver the SDGs, then should we be doing it? And certainly if it takes away from the SDGs, we should be asking some very serious questions. Now, it's not a perfect world. Sometimes you will kind of go against yourself, but that's, that's the aim. And, and we think the opportunity in this is, is twofold. Um, well, it's more than that, but if I pick out two in particular, one is it gives, us, it gives us something authoritative that we can point the city at. So it's not someone sticking a wet finger in the air and pulling out a target for the city. We have a collection of goals that are not single issue goals. They recognize independence. They recognize the fullness for human and planet development. And we can, with authority, say, as a city, let's point it here. And it's authoritative. The other opportunity it offers us is to enter into the global conversation. There are cities all over the world now grappling with the SDGs. We can have a joined up global conversation with those cities uh, now in a way that in a world that is potentially being fragmented by national governments uh, that we weren't able to um, in the past. And I think that's, that's actually what the world needs right now. Marvin, you've taken the city with you, haven't you, on that journey? Because it's really important this doesn't come as a top-down initiative from a local authority, from the mayor and your team. It's really important that the city engages and is part of the conversation. How have you done that? Because we know that Bristol's a very vibrant place. You've got a really mixed, um, diverse community. You've got a lot of young people, a lot of tech, a lot of business. How have you taken the city with you on that journey to, to, you know, to head to 2050? Well, you know, there are a number of things we've done. Uh, one is the, the, the city plan, the one city plan is actually built on something that we've called the one city, one city approach, which is an attempt to introduce a new kind of leadership culture to Bristol. It's based on an understanding that what people get from a city is not the result of the decisions made by any single organisation. I don't have levers in City Hall that I pull and get outcomes out in this, you know, on poverty or domestic violence or educational outcomes. It doesn't work like that. People sit at the intersection of decisions made by us, the health service, business, voluntary sector, you know, national government as well. And within months of me coming in, we had a meeting of about 70, 75 city leaders and we had that conversation. If we're serious about doing something in the city, we have to get ourselves organised. You wouldn't run a company in as disorganised a way in which the city was organised. So why would, you, why would you allow the city to be like that? You know, and, and actually we began to work recognising our interdependencies. You know, youth services and mental health are not just public sector issues. They are critical to the sustainability of our economy and the, the resilience of our economy. Um, you cannot leave millions of pounds worth of talent on the shelf just because it was born poor, right? So, you know, so we all began to find that 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 common understanding of our of our um, uh, of our interdependence. Then we then we set up something called the city office that was not just staffed by local government. It was staffed by people from our universities. You know, the police were coming, the unions would come. So actually, as we started to write that one city plan, um, all those sectors, all those organisations were contributing uh, to that plan. So that gave us that, that event that this is commonly owned. And we've said the one city plan is not my plan. 
it's the city's plan. It's not a local government plan. It's not a health plan. It's not a business plan. It's the city's plan because the, the city have written it. Now, the SDGs, Bristol University, have been critical in that because we've got an amazing guy called Alan uh, McLeod, and this is his specialism, uh, right, in the SDGs. So Alan led on the local voluntary review. He, he, wrote, he was obviously lead on the local voluntary review um, handbook. And, and Alan sits in City Hall, you know, three, four days a week, working on the SDGs, mapping all the city plan up against the SDGs and feeding back into how we deliver it. So again, it's not, our engagement has not been driven by the city council. We facilitated it, but the expertise has come from the university. So they're getting the glory from that and quite rightly, but that's very special because it's any collective glory that we're, you know, that we're, we're getting. I think, I mean, what you're saying is really core to the SDGs, isn't it? This idea that actually we are all part of a bigger system and that actually if we want to think about these sort of structural or systemic issues, we have to be thinking about all the different connections that exist within that system. And it's, it sounds like, you know, from the way that you've described it, that's the real sort of practical realisation of how to approach these sort, this sort of agenda in this kind of shared collective and, and sort of combining the expertise of everyone that you've got within the city ecosystem to try and actually work together with the SDGs as that kind of direction of travel. Um, I think it'd be really interesting just to link that to your uh, Bristol's climate and ecological emergency declarations because I, I think I'm not sure first city to declare a climate emergency but certainly yeah. first to declare an ecological emergency in the UK how does that come into play with the SDGs kind of how do you see that linking through I think sometimes people I mean the reason I ask this is because sometimes people really struggle to see that climate change is part of the SDG agenda you know it's not separate from it it is intrinsic yeah. to it um, how, how does that kind of manifest for you in your position well, it's SDGs 13, 14 and 15, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, climate action, life below water, life on land. Um, so yeah, we did, we declared these emergencies. And in fact, I would just share, we, we, then we took our own declarations around the sustainable development goals to the local government association, the LGA annual gathering. And we brought a motion to the LGA that local authorities around the country through the LGA should commit to the SDGs. And um, it passed. So that's, you know, hundreds of local authorities across the country then. Now, what they do with that is another question, but at least it was debated and there was massive support for the SDGs at the LGA. The next challenge is to help people understand how to, how to make it real, isn't it? Well, just on that point, I do know that there is a guide to the SDGs for local councils uh, due to come out from the LGA in a couple of weeks' time as UKSD worked on that with them. So, yeah, hopefully yeah. all councils will get that kind of entry point. You know, these are the first steps you can, you can take. That sounds like success, but I mean, your point about declaring a climate emergency, dozens of councils up and down the country have declared a climate emergency, but they've really struggled to take that declaration into action. And we yeah. just have to look on things like the track record around clean air zones and the fact that, you know, all of those initiatives are now seriously under threat because of the economic downturn post-COVID. How are you going to keep the momentum around some of those issues, given that there'll be enormous pressure on the city's finances? And you mentioned, you know, unemployment and particularly young people. How are you going to feel able to keep that focus and say, actually, you know, we can't just abandon this stuff it, it, because we can't afford it anymore? So I would say one of the reasons is, is um, it's difficult is because it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to move from a statement that is global and all-encompassing so right what do you do tomorrow and the, to be if I can just defend local authorities that says I'm not saying they're under attack but you know at the moment they are facing existential threats in terms of their finance 
right? Over the last, over 10 years of austerity, uh, what's happened is they've had to focus on defending adult social care. They don't have the backroom capacity in some sense. People protest them for frontline services, but what you lose are those people who will sit behind a desk and think about stuff, right? Yeah. Um, they don't have the scope because it's all about balancing the budget and not any end up breaking, breaking, you know, having your local authority being put onto a one-one, you know, four. Uh, so no one, no one looks for planners, right? It's law, it's planners, like people who get involved in spatial planning that will help us deliver SDGs. I've said on sustainable development, one of the most significant areas we have to take action on, on sustainable development and climate change is the kind of homes we build and where we build them. Mm. Now, a lot of the campaign groups, and I would say single issue campaign groups, they don't want to get involved in housing planning. They just want to come and, you know, stand outside the council house or the city hall and shout. But actually, you've got to get into those gritty conversations with communities that don't want new homes built next to them. But they live in the middle of the city where we can build homes within active travel distance of major retail, employment and entertainment zones, right? But they don't want those conversations, right? And that's what councils have to grapple with. So they've lost the lawyers, they've lost you know, the planners, everything's off the back foot. So it's incredibly hard uh, for them. I mean, I would say the reason, one of the reasons I, I like the SDGs so much as well is because they do take us away from that single issue activism. I get, I get emails from like cycling, cycling campaigners every week. I mean, I've had far, you know, we've had some far right, but not all far right, activists on the, on the streets on Saturday. We're talking about major moments in race. And all I get is a barrage of people saying, I don't like cyclists. You know, despite the fact I, you know, I ride a bike into work or if I don't run or walk. You know, single issue. I've said, you know, people are not going to be thinking about existential threats in 10, 15 years' time if they're worried about being beaten up tonight, if their kid's going to get stabbed tomorrow, or how they're going to get food on the table today, right? To me, this is where the SDGs offers us a maturity, to bring a maturity to the environmental movement, to climate movement, to social justice movement, that unfortunately in some quarters has been absent because it's been a middle-class movement that defines problems in middle-class ways. And by that, I'll give you an example. Someone asked me the question, how are we going to take the tough decisions that we have to on climate? The problem with that is, if you've got a nice bank account, the decisions aren't tough for you. Yeah. <laughs> They're tough for poor people, yeah. right? So you're talking about being tough on other people's lives, not, not theirs. That's a lack of respect. I, I, I've shared with the groups too that I fear that if you further marginalise people from economic hope by taking tough decisions that you know, people call brave and bold and all that, what you'll do is you'll sow the seeds for medium-term loss, and it will be significant loss. Trump-type loss. You end up with political leaders who don't believe, don't care, who will promise to bring your jobs back in the coal pits, you know, and you've, and you've lost. You've got to move with wisdom. You know, you, what's this, this thing I say? You know, you've, you can't go at the pace of the slowest, but you've got to take people with you. And you've got to find that, that space, you know? So the SDGs, in a, in a way, you know, what I'm hearing is that they are giving an, uh, you and city partners an opportunity to kind of step back from the from the day-to-day perhaps and kind of look at things in a much sort of broader more interconnected way but also there's an opportunity to have a different dialogue within the city as a result of having this kind of longer term vision or, or um, framework presented to people is that right is that well I hope so so someone someone because I think there was an effort to you know portray me as someone who hated the planet when I came in because I talked about poverty so what I would make the points I just shared with you and I saw someone tweet it the other day saying uh, Marvin's Marvin's never really cared about the planet because every time he's talked about every time we've talked about the planet he's counted us with poverty 
but I'm not countering with poverty. I'm just saying you can't do climate change without tackling poverty. Yeah. Right. Whether you're the whole about point it, about climate change is it, it affects the poor the worst. And you talk about the SDGs yeah. as being connected. Actually, you could say every single SDG is related to the climate emergency yeah. because without tackling the climate emergency, we will have no jobs, we will have no land, we will have no food. So actually, you've got to start from the people. And you're saying that you know poverty is at the heart of this. But, but well, it's at the heart of the impacts of climate change as well. Yeah. So poor people are hit first and hardest i've said to them they look like my dad the people that get hit first and hardest by climate change poor people will also unfortunately end up paying the highest price for some of the measures that we want to take to to manage it right and that's that's where the unions talk about just transitions you know i did i was in a conversation recently and someone was trying to hold me accountable for the system that's destroyed the planet i said it wasn't that i'm going to be a bit provocative here i said this global system that's killing people and killing the planet was built by rich white european men wasn't built by my people so so why are you holding me accountable for this neoliberal order that you want to tear down right i've kind of escaped poverty myself and i've come in and i'm saying how do we change it you know i recognize that you know the price being paid across africa and uh, you know and, and, and asia and actually not just that when you come into the northern hemisphere people who live next particularly in the u.s you think people who've next door to the polluting factories and getting cancers early and their kids are getting you know asthma we recognize all that but this is again so SDG one, no poverty, right? SDG four, quality education. SDG five, gender equality, right? SDG six, clean uh, water and sanitation. You know, thirteen, climate change. Uh, eight, decent work and economic growth. The interdependence of these, you know, creating the social, emotional, and economic space for everyone to be able to think about those those threats to human existence. Uh, you know, over the next 10, 15, 20, uh, 30 years, um, rather than just saying, you know, and I think some some of the climate activism has been a case of, I know you've got a problem, but I've got a bigger problem that I want you to make a priority, right? Because there are no stabbings on a dead planet, right? <laughs> right? There's no domestic violence on a dead planet. You can't say that, you know, we have to we have to respect where people are and earn the right to speak into their lives. And I think that the SSDG framework um, offers us offers us that kind of opportunity. So, if we maybe bring the conversation now onto the kind of the role of the SDGs in the recovery, you've been very vocal about uh, how they are part or or will be part of Bristol's economic recovery. But I think I'm right that you've also been pushing for them to be included in the uh, spatial development plan for the West of England. Yeah. Um, can you maybe just explain kind of what your uh, well, what the plans are for the recovery, how the SDGs come into that, and, and maybe just why you think they're important at this at this time. So as I shared at the, the, the top end, COVID itself is a threat to health, um, but unemployment and inequality is a threat to health. Right? Mm. I'm from a public health background, so we look at those social determinants. So right from the very beginning, we, we under the city office, we already had an economy board that came together and we reoriented that economy board to, to two questions, right? How do we survive and how do we recover economically? And, and that's, again, not, you know, it's not just about big business. It's about small businesses, two, three employees, you know, people putting food on the table. We've got to help people to survive. Um, but we also said we don't want to do that without any sense of values and what we're pointing at. You're not just growing you know, aimlessly. So actually that board has said the purpose of our economy is to point towards the SDGs. And it's fantastic that not just my deputy mayor who chairs that board, uh, Craig Cheney, but the co-chair, James Jury from Business West, which is the Chamber of Commerce for the area, 
they talk about the SDGs. This is what we're trying to do. Mm. Um, so, so you put it into the heart of, even if it's just in the language, at least it's in the language. And then you work out how you, you do it. But it means that that board is pointing at the SDGs and what they do. And, it's, and I tell you what, it's so uplifting to hear them talking about, you know, economic recovery, but seamlessly talking about the sustainable development goals as they have that, that, that conversation about how we um, get the economy going again. The other thing that, the other opportunity uh, we've come to actually comes out of, um, you know, a, an unfortunate situation in which our joint spatial plan uh, didn't pass and was found to be, you know, not to have a common rationale. Um, and so as a, a met, as a wider area now with our neighbouring authorities, we now have to move into a strategic, um, you know, a new, a new plan for how we allocate housing land and employment land and, and so forth. So actually we just said, right, let's make the SDGs the purpose of that plan. Um, as we're thinking about the kinds of homes we build and where we build them, what, ha- what land we put to employment, how we link that with our transport plan. This should be about delivering the SDGs, not just referencing them and touching them, but delivering them. Um, and so that, that is the work going on. Uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's been our proposition as a city. Um, and that's what we're going to try and drive into that, that next piece of work. Marvin, you've painted this picture of a city that's very cohesive, very focused. You've developed a plan in com- partnership with business and local authorities and people and, and presumably in universities and presumably young people as well. And, and from the things you've been saying, people will think, well, this is a city that's moving forward and is behind one plan. But perhaps some of the images that people have seen recently from the city are images of division, you know, and, and of protest and, and some of the, the issues that have faced Bristol um, and, you know, members of the BAME community and the pulling down of the statue. That paints perhaps a sense of, of a city divided against itself. But do you feel that that is just something that you can help to work through because you have this bedrock of a cohesive one city plan? And how will you how will you tackle that? So that that division and tension is the Bristol's reality, like it is for most cities. You know, I, I do tell that story of how we're working, but I'm not saying that that is necessarily how life is experienced for people in the city. We have nearly a quarter of our children in income deprived households. I grew up on the underbelly of that, a black mixed race kid with a single white woman on benefits. You know, I didn't enjoy uh, Bristol. And as I've shared many times, the city has a fantastic story to tell to the outside world, but tens of thousands of people are not a part of it. This feeds back into my, my sense of the importance of the SDGs. Um, that it's not just about the latest campaign or buying organic food or sourdough pizzas and so forth, you know? You have to have a comprehensive approach that, that aligns social justice and environmental justice doesn't just, and I said started to happen now, doesn't just play uh, black people, poor people as widgets in your campaign, you know, in, in your strategy to get your cause there, but actually recognises it as good in and of itself um, with the SDG. So we are, are, the way we're working isn't necessarily the way the whole city experiences Bristol. It's just not. But this is the way we need to work. So I don't see that a problem of itself. The, the, the events on the weekend, again, these are, these are exposures of, of what, what life is, to be honest. And, and one, of the, one of the points I've been making is, you know, people are carrying on like they're surprised. All that's happened is you're seeing it, you know. Um, people, live like, people live aware, aware of these, um, you know, these differences and these frustrations, these divisions all the time. And every now and again, the cameras and the journos get interested and, and everyone hears the story. Um, and I, but I'm not afraid of tension. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Martin Luther King. Um, 
the true, you know, the real, not the, not the historical teddy bear, but the, the, the intelligent, unpalatable guy. And King talks about tension, but creative tension, and not to, be, not to be afraid of creative tension. He said there's a different kind of tension, a destructive tension, and that's not the one we want. But we have to face up to our differences, expose our hypocrisies, our, you know, you know, our divisions. I mean, geez, I'm full of contradictions in me, right? And so are you. When you put 60-odd million people together on a piece of land, you don't think there's going to be contradictions and hypocrisies and so forth? Right? That's just that's what we are. And what we've got to do is learn to live with, live with that and learn how we turn that into, into a, it's a source of innovation and creativity. We're just, we're just having our innards put on the table right now as a country, um, and we can choose to pretend that's not happening, try and just stuff them all back in, or we can, we can actually come to grapple with it, take the chance to look at ourselves, and then build something better. And again, the SDGs you know, provide us the framework potentially for, uh, for doing something like that. It's about black people. But I would say you cannot just tackle racism without looking at the, the concerns of poor white people too. And that's part of my heritage as well. You know, whether you agree with their end state political positioning or not, you know, the feeling, the perception of many white people in this country that they've been left behind, politics doesn't work for them, um, you, know, that the, you know, that they've lost the sense of identity and national narrative, they're right. That's true, right? That's why I'm, my response on Brexit was it, it was the wrong answer to the right problem, right? <laughs> so, again, this a comprehensive approach that, that talks about race but also talks about poverty in general that, that sees the challenge around social mobility as integral to tackling racism and therefore also the challenge of the, the impoverishment of, of white people. Um, that, that's... that's the, the knotty, gritty conversation and collection of policies and economic strategy I think we need to be pursuing. It's fair to say the pandemic in itself is a moment and an opportunity to, to think about things differently and, and maybe to accelerate progress in areas where um, perhaps we've, we've been a bit slow to act because we're now forced to act differently. But I think it's also probably fair to say that it was quite predictable that we would see these sorts of, you know, whether it's Black Lives Matter or other kind of tensions within society emerge as we come out of the pandemic and we're in this sort of tail end of of the pandemic and entering into recession. Is something changing right now? What's the kind of pivotal opportunity that exists to us right now to ramp up our efforts and, and create the kind of change at the pace and scale that's needed? Am I wrong to say that, you know, that's my reading of it, is that we've got an opportunity. Do you agree? And, and if you do, you know, how do we use it? I think there is an opportunity. I mean, I'll just say, I mean, it was one of the, the first conversations we started to have with this regular weekly meet, leaders meeting group that we'd already had. So we'd already set it up for the city office. We just reoriented it towards the pandemic. Was the potential of disorder. You know, when you walk around the streets and they're empty and it looks like 28 days later, you know, um, the, and, and we're beginning to go on an economic dip and people are afraid, the potential for social disorder um, coming off the back is there because everything's in turmoil, right? And I, I think there is an opportunity. I read a quote recently. It was George, in George Soros' book, actually, you know, you know what's it? Something to the effect of, you know, at times of such turmoil, the impossible becomes possible. His dad um, said it to him. So I think... Clearly, stuff is in the air um, and it's an opportunity. But I'm also minded that we've had these moments before 
when we thought this is it, this is the time, right? World War One was the war to end all world, uh, war to end all wars, right? <laughs> and then, like you know, twenty years later, we got World War Two, and then <laughs> that should have taught us a lesson. And we go into the Cold War, and we and we we come within hours of, you know, blowing ourselves up. You got the civil rights movement; it feels all encompassing. Um, you got the independence movements in the global south. That's like wow, the world's changing. I, you know, skip a few. You got the riots in the eighties. Uh, you know, all the rebellions, uprisings. We think this is it. Self-realization. You come into the nineties. Uh, you know, you got at the end of nineties. You got the anti-globalization protests going on. Jubilee two thousand. This is it. I was at, I was at a I was at the World Bank IMF uh, uh, meetings in Washington in ninety in 2000 thousands of people on the streets saying we don't want this neoliberal world order we don't want the washington consensus i thought wow this is it the world's changing then we had the financial crisis of 2008 that was another moment right we will learn a lesson we will build we had the climate protests coming through we will we we have these moments and the status quo is incredibly resilient Mm. just sits there waiting for us to tire ourselves out and to have to pay the bills and just carry on before so i think there is opportunity um it's, easy, it's easily lost and we have a track record of losing opportunities to deliver fundamental change. And the SDGs provide us with a lens through which we can say, actually, this is an opportunity that goes across all communities, all divisions in society, and we can use this as a framework and as a plan to move forward and perhaps create something that's a bit more unifying. And you you know, you embody that in the work that you're doing in, in Bristol, but but it's a lesson that the rest of the country could, could learn from. And I'm delighted to hear that your local government colleagues have taken action on it and that, that you know UKSSD are producing a, a plan because I think we've all got to learn because possibly as you said we've been in these moments before but this does really feel like almost last chance saloon doesn't it and then the combination yeah. of, of the impact of a pandemic not to mention the climate emergency and we've all sort of stopped talking about the climate emergency you know this is our possibly a chance for us to really sit up and take notice and take action and you've really presented a kind of I don't know, framework we could all follow from and a call to action that all of us could learn from i just confirm i think this is the last chance all right that is something that the level of our interdependence right now and where we are in global history it i think this is the last chance to make fundamental change from where we can actually recover the next time we face a shock like this there will be no recovery i don't think all right it will be minimizing planetary harm and destruction, but it will be unavoidable planetary harm and destruction. What would be the one thing that you would ask people to do as we come out of the pandemic and we look forward, whether they're a city leader or just um, a community leader, or perhaps just a, a person in the street, you know, um, who might be listening to this? What's the one thing you think people can do, Marvin? Let me talk at a government level, because I'm not really talking about individual level. The, the, other, the other thing I think, what I would like to see is meaningful devolution. This, I, I think national governments are failing, um, not just not just on incompetence, although that sometimes happens. They just do not have the machinery, the reach, the the dynamism, and the worldview to be able to deliver the SDGs. They're a, they're a critical partner in it, but they need to make more space for cities to lead on the SDGs. And, and cities need the space not only to control what goes on inside city boundaries, but to shape the national and the international context in which they have to work. Right. And, and SDGs have to land. National governments are almost abstract in many ways. You know, they're disembodied powers. Cities have very specific locations with populations. So when I talk about poverty, it's really real and immediate. When we're talking about education and gender equality, it's real and immediate here. Right? If we get the support we need 
and we've asked World Economic Forum for this recently, if we get the support we need to do the intellectual thinking and the planning of how we put these into the, the, our plan for our city over the next 30 years, um, then we will deliver, right? But actually that has to be aligned with investment because some of this stuff involves investment, not just in services, but in physical city development. Um, and unfortunately the financial model offered to cities at the moment undermines our ability to plan beyond two, three years, because it's a one year pot here, a two year pot there. Um, so, so I suppose my, my thing is, sorry, it's not necessarily easy to deliver. Let's see a shift, a rebalance of sovereignty, a new settlement in the UK that, res that respects and actually seeks out the leadership of UK cities, rather than national government trying to control everything. Brilliant. Thank you. There's, there's a call to action for everyone. Marvin, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your vision for the city. I mean, it's really fabulous to hear something so positive when we're all casting around for, for good news and a new narrative to work to. Emily, thank you for being part of this, this podcast. It's been brilliant to be working alongside UKSSD. And for listeners who want to catch other episodes of the podcast, you can either visit the UKSSD website or come and find us at theplanetpod.com. It's been terrific to have my guests here today. So big thank you to both of you. Thanks, Amanda. Thank Thanks you. very much Thanks for having us. Thanks to you, the listener, and do please keep listening. The UK SSD podcast, bringing the sustainable development goals to life. Thank you.